With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv, here with a very special episode. A little while ago, I sat down with the incredible woman behind the queer classicist blog and Twitter account, Yentl Love. We talked all about queer theory as it relates to Dionysus, and frankly, it was one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had. I learned so much about Dionysus and queer theory in general. And I mean, who doesn't want to learn more about Dionysus? I know he's pretty close to the top of everyone's favorite list, or if he isn't, he should be. So sit back and enjoy this incredible conversation, which even goes so far as to talk about Harry Styles. You do not want to miss it. Also, a note, I'm recording this introduction with my new microphone and recorded the interview with my old microphone and also at a distance because it seems like everyone I speak to ends up being in the UK. So please bear with me on the varied levels of recording. And yes, the interview begins with me mid-laugh. This is episode 114 Dionysus is everyone and everything. Queer theory with the queer classicist Yentl Love. So thank you so much for for speaking with me today. Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me. So my name's Yentl. Um, I think most people, at least on Twitter, know me from uh, an account called The Queer Classicist. But I've been doing ancient history related things for quite a while now. I started, I was really lucky that I got to go to a really big um, sixth form school in the UK where mostly, I don't know how about how it is in Canada, but mostly in the UK, you have to be going to a private school in order to learn like Latin and Greek and stuff which is very inaccessible. But yeah, luckily I went to a school that was big enough that it did offer um, like classical civilizations. Very jealous. Yeah, exactly. So um, I was so lucky with it that it meant I could start 
studying about ancient history from when I was like 16, which was great. And then I, like a lot of people, thought that ancient history was fun, but useless. So I was going to do a a politics degree. And then um, I went to an exhibition at the British Museum. And just as I was walking around, thought, "Mm, yeah, I think got to go with the vibes here. (laughs) And um, so I cancelled all of my uni places and then just switched into ancient history and I've been doing that ever since so I did my undergrad degree at um, Cardiff University and that's when I really got interested in looking at gender and sexuality I did my undergraduate dissertation on like the similarities between the Persians and Eurasian nomads that were around at the time And a lot of that focused in on looking at ideas of gender and what that might mean in the societies. And so then I went to Exeter to do a master's and just really continued on. Uh, I got to study a lot more literary theory there, which I hadn't done before. And that's when I came across these things like queer theory and feminist theory. And that really influenced my work kind of as a classicist or an ancient historian. So yeah, then I started up The Queer Classicist, which is basically just myself reflecting on the fact that, you know, as I said, I was really lucky to even be able to get access to learning about ancient history at such a young age. So I wanted to, you know, be able to disseminate this knowledge to a wider audience that really, there aren't that many sources available that are talking to, you know, late teens that don't have the background experience but are interested and you know we've got like this show horrible histories i don't know if that's made it to canada yet i don't think so it sounds good (laughs) yeah it's it's oh it's great it's basically just a bunch of adults dressed up as ancient people and various people throughout history that just sing songs and perform (laughs) skits and i mean (laughs) it's pretty popular with everyone but that's definitely kind of indicative of the fact that a lot of ancient history stuff is based towards like kids and then there's this whole age group that just gets forgotten about so I wanted to kind of focus there and talk about the things that I'm really interested in like sex and gender and you know concepts of race and all of these kind of things that I find so fascinating And yeah, so I just created that kind of space where I could blurt out all of my feelings about this stuff. That's great. Well, that leads us right into why you and I are talking. Um, But also, it's so similar to kind of why I started the podcast, which was basically, I'm completely obsessed with all of this stuff too. And I also thought my degree would be useless. I went to university <laughs> after, well, I've like, I've always been obsessed with ancient Greece, but um, like you were saying, it, it is definitely here. We don't have access to learning anything. Mm. In in high school, which I went to like a very normal public high school here. Sorry, my cat is also meowing like crazy. So he might just appear on the podcast today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went to a very normal high school here. And we had one class, it was comparative civilizations, which like kind of touched on that stuff, but it was taught by the art teacher. So it just yeah. ended up being art history, which was great. It was a great class on art history, but it was definitely not like about the ancient world. Yeah. But I just, I went to university expecting to work in publishing, which I did for a while. Um, But I did a double major specifically because I was like, well, I want to learn about ancient uh, history because I love it, but also I'm not going to use it. So I was like, I'll Mm. use my English major. It's fine. And then now, of course, I suppose I'm using both. But it it was very much like kind of you fall into why it is the right call versus sort of the expectation that you're going to make a whole career out of it. Certainly a lot of people do. But, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, you know, and but that wanting to sort of spread that information to people who don't have access or to people who might think from the surface that it's not as exciting as it is, is totally, I mean, why mm. Why I have this podcast, which is kind of wanting to tell people how completely crazy some of these myths are. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we, we chatted on, on Twitter because uh, you did your... Is it your master's thesis was on Dionysus and queer theory and all Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, so I was looking at how Dionysus um, 
how he functions as kind of this like oppositional character to normal heterosexual cisgender ideas of masculinity um but also like what if you have this god who you know subverts all of these norms what does that say about the people following him and whether you can look for kind of a like a queer space in the followers of Dionysus as well. That's so, so exciting. So I basically just want you to tell me all about all of that today. Um, I mean, Dionysus is a favorite of mine for so many reasons, but I love kind of, and I'm not super um, familiar with the various aspects of sort of queer identities in the classical world. I'm always kind of doing my best to learn more and more about the mythology and everything and have people on my show to, to teach me all of that. But Dionysus alone, I mean, he's he's so fascinating. Just surface level stuff is so clear that he very much was not the norm and, and was kind of that icon yeah. of sort of freedom. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think using queer theory is such a valuable tool because, you know, a lot of the discussions that we have about how we can look at sexuality in the ancient world is around things like you know, saying people were gay or were bisexual, it doesn't really translate very well because, you know, we're talking about completely different cultures that had no ideas of the concepts we use now. Whereas queer theory is very much focusing on, okay, let's look at the people who were thought of as abnormal, like who is the other in this society? And so a lot of the time that does focus on things to do with sexuality and gender, but it also looks at, you know, race and ethnicity and like class order as well. But yeah, I think it's good to kind of have in the back of your mind that it's not that you're looking for, you know, was Dionysus gay or was Dionysus trans or was, you know, any of these questions. I think the scholarly way to approach it and not have academics say oh you really shouldn't be saying that is um is to look at things through this kind of queer lens and see what was Dionysus doing and how was he acting in a way that kind of deviated from this normal idea of what a man should be Mm -hmm. that's sort of a new way to look at it for me not the not the overall concept because I do find because I have a, a mainstream mythology podcast that most of my listeners are not academic at all. Mm-hmm. They're just people who find Greek mythology interesting or who just discovered me randomly on Spotify. And so a lot of people do want that kind of black and white, that world that we live in now applied to those mm. to characters. And I, yeah. I often try to to do that to make it satisfying, but also to hedge it with like, but really, we don't know and we have completely different concepts yeah. of everything yeah. than they did. So, you, you know, like you can have your theories or your sort of what, if it was in this world, what we might understand people as. But it, yeah, it's it doesn't apply, technically speaking. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's really understandable, you know, because I've also been there as like a young gay teen who like desperately wanted to see myself in history and so when people talk about like oh I shouldn't be saying this I although I understand that from a scholarly perspective I also do like want to say to everyone that's ever said like oh was Alexander the Great gay or something like I completely get that because coming from you know someone who when growing up I was doing exactly the same thing like just trying to look for who who out of history I could see myself in so I think that it's a very obvious temptation and I do completely understand why people like to do that yeah and I think there's value in both I think there's Mm. value in in sort of making those statements and probably kind of in like on a platform like mine, I think it fits a little better because I'm not trying to say I'm scholarly and because I do try, do my best to to hedge it and explain these mm. things. But I, I, it is valuable for people to have that, to have yeah, definitely. those characters to look at, especially when they're not trying to come at it from a scholarly perspective of yeah. of what, you know, the exact thing about the ancient sources are saying. And I, and I do... You know, I'm, I'm trying to come at it from both personally. Like, mm. I, I'm not a scholar. I don't try to be. I only have my bachelor's. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a there's a 
a good place to have kind of that conversation of of both. Like if you want to make the theory, you know, go with the theories on it. I I think Dionysus is kind of everything. I think he's the one I I'd never try to really put a label on. I think there are other gods that yeah. you can put a bit more of a a modern label on them. I stand by I think Artemis was a lesbian. There's a lot of different theories and it's and again it's it's a myth it's a myth like they they didn't have any of these concepts and especially with with the gods themselves it's less so even the stories but the gods themselves it's like there's literally no way to know anything and artemis there's no examples Mm. of anything but there's no examples because of the people who are writing the myths and blah 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 you know yeah yeah but i think dionysus is so fascinating because even if you want to put these labels on that aren't technically speaking accurate his don't work you know, he's yeah. kind of everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And that's what I found when I was doing like my master's dissertation. And this is actually the topic I'm going on to do my PhD on um, in September. It's just looking at this in a Roman context, actually. But like Ooh. this idea of, of Dionysus and what does he mean in terms of gender at different times? Yeah, because like you said, he completely doesn't fit into any of the boxes that we have that other gods kind of do even we have like some gods who you know don't really fit like Athena doesn't really act like other female goddesses but she's still there's never any doubt that she is a goddess you know whereas Dionysus it's just he consistently in there are three kind of main areas when I was doing my research that it came up that he has this kind of queer nature, which is firstly in the way that like his gender presentation, in the way that he appears. And that's something that consistently throughout mythology, you see uh, gods and goddesses like disguising themselves. And so it's made very clear that how a god looks is determined by the god at that particular time. You know, they can choose how they are appearing swans are not a swan yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) a really sexy bull (laughs) um yeah and the playwright Euripides like makes that really clear in his play the Bacchae which is Uh. about Dionysus and his followers um and he says he has Dionysus say that he appears how he wishes to appear when he's questioned about his identity and so it's made really really clear that you know this kind of androgynous effeminate way that Dionysus is normally portrayed as appearing is a deliberate choice you know that's how he has chosen to present himself yeah and then alongside kind of his like physical appearance you also get a real emphasis on the clothing that he uses which is also like really not typical male clothing at all like he in one text by a guy called Nonus who's talking about basically how effeminate Dionysus is and he says Dionysus always appears like a young girl and he wears saffron robes and puts a veil over his hair and he will um, put like a purple girdle over his hips like he's a maiden and it's really just like emphasizing one thing after another all of this long list that Dionysus kind of adopts these what we kind of perceive to be female clothing. That's interesting too because I don't think a lot of the gods necessarily get descriptions like that. Um, I think Athena is an exception you kind of always know how Athena's dressed but definitely not all of them get these kind of descriptions of what they look like and how they present as when they're in sort of a human form. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's interesting, yeah, that they that people would find the need to sort of really emphasize Dionysus. Yeah, exactly. And it's literally, like you said, it's not a common thing for people to 
make note of you know that isn't normally the most interesting thing about the god but it's constantly referred to with Dionysus and even his mannerisms revolve around the fact that he is dressed like a woman or you know so they think so like another playwright Aristophanes makes a mention of Dionysus uh, constantly adjusting his dress which was seen to be a very very like female thing to do um, and even like the use of the having him having veiled hair that is typically a very female thing you know in classical Greece there's still a bit of debate over I don't want to get into this very contentious subject in academia but um, there is definitely some evidence that women always covered their hair in classical Greece definitely uh, Lloyd Llewellyn Jones would argue that but regardless, it is a very female thing to do. And even in artistic depictions, you have this idea of the heroic nude, which is like all of these amazing Greek gods that are, you know, buff and huge and more muscles than sense. They always appear naked. But then we have all these beautiful images of Dionysus, like on vases and even in some cases and statues and he's always clothed until like the middle of the fourth century he always really appears clothed that's interesting yeah i I wasn't i'm not as familiar with the the iconography that we have Mm. and but it is the more i learn about it the more sort of fascinating is the way we can kind of trace these things in that in that way i i mean i think he's just one of the most fascinating gods overall I mean, because of all all these reasons we've already talked about, but then, you know, you even dive into how much more ancient he might be and how, you know, the places he might have sort of been adapted mm-hmm. from, but then also is depicted as an, a fresh god in, in terms yeah. of the pantheon origins. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like part of this whole thing around Dionysus is he's kind of characterized as this eternal stranger, like... He in both in Greece when he first arrives in Greece and then later when he arrives in Rome, they both view him as somebody who has just arrived in their city, but who has a long history in the East. So no matter kind of where you go to look for him, there is this really extensive mythology just stretching back and back that everyone kind of thinks that he has come from somewhere to their city or to their land but by no means has he just suddenly popped up into existence you know he's just he's a very old figure that I don't think a lot of people could definitively say that they have an idea of where he originated it's definitely this kind of eternal stranger motif he is the foreigner um, they call him, you know, this foreign god. And he, you know, even when like he moves to Rome and you first get this kind of um, cult of Dionysus, they don't really just think, oh, he's come from Greece. They still think he he came to us from Greece, but before he was definitely somewhere else. Yeah, which, like you say, that's kind of a completely different, like this idea that he is eternally kind of wandering, spreading his... Um, his views and his impact is quite different to how we see other gods portrayed that are, you know, more Greek. But then he is part of the the pantheon of like main Greek gods, even though everyone thinks, oh, he isn't Greek, but somehow he becomes one of the really important gods, not just like another kind of sideshow god. <laughs> yeah. Well and the, and they gave him, you know, Greek origins and I'm not sure kind of when that came into play, you know, his origins in in Thebes. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's very clear that he is this foreigner. So it's like they wanted to make him Greek. It wanted to be clear that he was this Greek god. You know, he was born yeah. of Thebes. He was born of um, Semele and, and Zeus. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, he's foreign and he's from the East. Yeah. And I always find that so interesting. And it's really unique in terms yeah. of the gods to have that where it's like, they want to make clear he's Greek, you know, and whoever made that decision or whatever. But, it, it, you know, he's Greek, but he's not Greek. He's yeah. he's young, but he's super ancient. He's, mm. yeah, he's just sort of 
really everything in a way that no other god is yeah exactly and that fits really well with this whole idea of him as someone who boundaries don't really apply to him he breaks down all these typical binaries so at once he is both very greek you know he's the son of zeus and of this theban woman so he is greek but also he is this foreign god who is thought of as definitely not like us he you know is very different to us that really fits in with the whole you know view that he is kind of an outsider in so many different ways he breaks down all these concepts of what it means to to exist almost you know mm-hmm. well and I I never want to try to get into too much understanding of chronology in Greek mythology because you'll just want to scream and cry and give up yeah. um but I think it's interesting that that he is I mean yes you know he's from Thebes he's the child of of Zeus but to have him so specifically as as the child of Semele too, where then, you know, she's the child of Cadmus, who also came mm-hmm. from the East, is interesting, but also gives it a timeline where it's like, Cadmus is one of their more ancient figures because of his move from the East. Um, but then also to make Dionysus his grandson, puts Dionysus in a place where you can track, you know, his timeline, but then at the same time, he is this this much more ancient figure. yeah. And it's another thing that's that's rare in the mythology to kind of be able to track everything. And I think it probably, and again, I don't have any kind of like actual knowledge or evidence on this, but it probably comes from, from you know, the adaptations and, and how long we have, there's, you know, stretches and stretches of, of coming up with these things and them changing and, but versus what we actually have and what was mm. written down. But I think that's, that's sort of extra fascinating just that we do have, you know, we have his parents in a way that for most of the other gods, you have his parents, but they're like titans. So it's, you yeah, know, they're so old that it doesn't actually make a difference. Um, but mm. to have two levels of mortals before you, let alone Cadmus's parents, but two levels of like famous Greek mortals to then to lead to Dionysus sort of just, mm. add, I mean, it adds to the constant sort of mystery and what makes him so interesting. But, and I'm personally a huge Cadmus and Harmonia person so I always just kind of like connect it back to that I just find their yeah. myth, even though there's very little to it I, I love mm-hmm. them um so then to have Dionysus as part of that too is just it's just uh, yeah. it's all very fascinating which is why I, I have this podcast but you know it's it I I love digging as deep as I can into all of those little things and and where the stories came from and how much they changed or what we have to to sort of denote that And it's really interesting because his mother becomes such an important part of his mythology. Like, Semele really, like, is a defining feature of what will then become Dionysus's life. Because, like, he, as you're saying, you know, she's mortal. He should really, if we're thinking about it, surely he would have been, like, a demigod. Like, you know, one of these heroes, like Heracles. But he undergoes a series of this thing where he goes into the underworld. He basically has to prove himself to like become a god in some of the myths. And even when he goes down to the underworld, he goes looking for his mother. And so you get this idea that he had a really a far closer relationship with his mother than you see in other male Greek gods and really just other men in general the only kind of other explanation uh so the only other like similarity I can think of is with Aphrodite and Eros but even then like Eros is a baby like is this permanent child so that's very different from this adult who is often celebrated in the same context of his mother or celebrated with Demeter who's you know also really celebrated for being a mother there is this maternal association with Dionysus that is so unusual but is just really really interesting I think I think there could be a lot of interesting research to do in that area because you really don't see that kind of mother-child worship together in cults very often unless it's like um Demeter and Kore or Persephone mm-hmm. or 
than Dionysus and his mother. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's so true. And then you add to that the, and I don't know how widespread these are across all the various sources we have, but the idea that Semele died right away mm-hmm. and that he was yeah. born from Zeus's thigh. So it's like, that that's a fascinating relationship to have also given the fact that essentially she did not live for any of his life. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's that, even just that narrative of birth kind of cements the idea that he will, that Dionysus has been complicating gender and ideas of gender and sex ever since he existed. Like you have this thing where, the myths specifically refer to it as Zeus grows a womb in his thigh and he puts Dionysus into his own womb. And so it's made very clear that this, like the kind of hyper masculine, you know, fuck boy of the gods um, <laughs> grows his own, <laughs> is basically given a womb which, you know, to the ancient Greeks was like the defining feature of a woman because that was... It's all we're good for. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. All women were just a walking womb, just (laughs) waiting. Um, Yeah, so you get this, like, kind of gender deviancy that happens just, like, in that moment before his birth. But then also he is... Some of the sources say that then, because he had to be hidden from Zeus's wife because Zeus. you know if Hera found out he'd had another affair <laughs> it wouldn't have gone well and the best way to hide him away was thought to be oh let's raise him as a girl so then you get this kind of other which is like a big motif obviously in folklore across the world this idea that someone is being raised as a gender that they are not and the kind of repercussions that has but I think it's really interesting that you get this idea that a god you know a male supposedly a male god spent the first portion of his life as as a woman yeah i mean i think there's just there's so much to dionysus and there's so many different kind of little things you can dig into i need to do so many more episodes on the podcast for him because i haven't done nearly enough With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
And then you get into the Ariadne stuff too. Mm-hmm. What do you think about yeah. about that? I mean, there's so many there's so many different kind of versions about what ended up happening to Ariadne. I'm very on the side of Theseus was like the worst person alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. So, and then I, I I like the idea that Ariadne then went off with Dionysus, and not that she was like murdered on an island. <laughs> So, yeah. 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 Do you have, what do you think about Ariadne and and him? Um I also am a big fan of that one. You know, Ariadne actually gets her nice and yeah. after, you know, Theseus just is the worst person ever to L- exist. Literal um, like just an absolute monster <laughs> just the all worst. the time. <laughs> Dionysus has this like for the Greek gods a completely different approach in that he's seen as a protector of women. Like, although this is an incredibly low bar, but considering the Greek gods, it's one you kind of have in place. He never is said to have never, like, attacked a woman. Hmm. He has never assaulted a woman. I've even read, like, articles that say, oh, he must have been asexual because he we don't have any <laughs> stories of him attacking him. women oh which is such a low bar that's so horrifying but also like i can yeah. see how people get there in in a sort of like a, a very dark place but yeah because of the examples we have of every other god mm-hmm. but yeah. wow yeah um but you know this idea that dionysus is kind of seen as a protector of women like we have this story from a guy called Pausanias who says that there were a group of Minads, so like the female followers of Dionysus who were really really drunk or whatever and they accidentally um, in their raving like went into an enemy city and then fell asleep and like passed out but everyone knew that they were Minads, so even though they were surrounded by enemy soldiers none of the women were touched because they kind of knew that Dionysus was watching over them basically and that yeah. di- they you know these women were under Dionysus protection you can't touch them and then when they were eventually woke up probably with massive hangovers <laughs> um <laughs> the enemy cities women then escorted them out and made sure they all got out safely that's amazing i that I know. that makes me so happy <laughs> yeah exactly i just love that that idea so much is one of the few times where you actually see women just actually having a great time in yeah. antiquity. Yeah. I, love, I mean, yeah, maynads in general are the best. Like the whole concept mm-hmm. is incredible. Just, yeah. you know, women drinking wine in the forest and sometimes yeah. ripping people to shreds, you know, maybe we ignore those parts, but <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just uh, Dionysus in general is so much fun. I mean, he's the God of wine. So of course he is, but then, everything else like just everything about him is so fascinating and there's there's just so much yeah and yeah i need to find a million more sources on him because i've covered the back eye a lot because it's also Mm. incredible but otherwise i've you know i've done his pirate story which is a good one Mm -hmm. but uh have you done his story with prosimnos yes yes i should say yes that's one one of my favorites as well (laughs) yeah that I, I'm gonna I know I've covered it is that the one where he has to go to the underworld no yes, yeah yes right and then when he comes back the guy's the died guy has so died he, yes. yes so he makes him a dildo yeah yes. exactly okay takes it upon himself to consummate the relationship <laughs> yes, perfect yeah <laughs> even though all the gods are like mm, you really don't have to but <laughs> he's like no <laughs> I'm gonna do he's like, this I'm gonna I need a promise yeah yeah and see that's like one of the also this characteristic of because a lot of the other gods we do have evidence that they um had relationships and affairs with men but rather than the idea of kind of gay or straight in the ancient world a lot of it was like basically who's the top and who's the bottom like this penetrator versus penetrated and Dionysus is really rare in the in all of the sexual encounters with men we know about. He's always the one that gets penetrated, which is like a completely like crazily abnormal thing coming yeah. from a Greek god. Um, but he always kind of takes the this kind of 
what would have been viewed as the the women's role like the effeminate role Mm -hmm. and even going back to when you were talking about Ariadne we have one of my favorite reports of how people like worshipped Dionysus was Xenophon is telling us about this um, tradition in Athens of like recreating the marriage between Dionysus and Ariadne and uh, it's like this really beautiful thing but it's Xenophon makes clear that Ariadne gets seated on this throne and then Dionysus comes in and sits on her lap and so even there you have this (laughs) idea that you know she's wearing the pants in the relationship Dionysus definitely isn't taking the normal male role even when he's in a relationship that you know people might assume to be a kind of you know coming from a queer theory lens that's the the expected the normal relationship Mm. um and he still completely kind of turns it on his head that's wonderful and sorry we we jumped even away from Ariadne but I totally want to keep talking about that because I don't know enough about how they what we have of them together um but I think it's wonderful that you know post Theseus the woman gets her due with Dionysus but then also Mm. to add that to to where she also then becomes sort of the more um like I don't want to say powerful but also yes like figure you know the the sort of yeah the one wearing the pants the I mean what an added bonus for her Mm. but also a bit more of a uh, what's the word I want basically it's just like another you know mark against Theseus he because yeah. you know he he's really the worst and I could go on about that forever but then to sort of have her get the absolute opposite of him with Dionysus mm-hmm. like this man who who loved her who didn't assault anyone and you know yeah. ever at all which is amazing just so many good things about Dionysus then to come to Ariadne it's like I can't accept the version where she just then gets like shot on the island by Artemis no because no, why? No, unacceptable. Like, you know, let's stick with the. And also, you know, that's she deserves all the happiness in the world. Yes. What Theseus put her through, and so the idea that she then, firstly, like, is taken up to the gods is amazing enough. But also the fact that if you consider like the other kind of affairs that we know that Greek gods had with human women or like human men it never ends well for the humans nope. like it just never goes well and you know 90% of the time it also isn't consensual and yet this idea that we have of Dionysus like coming and rescuing Ariadne was that yeah she was very up for it and they have this beautiful relationship where he really really seems to care about her and yeah like we said you know she's the one that's sitting on the throne and he's there sitting on her lap (laughs) I just love that's wonderful I love that so much Mm. and I I think it's it's not necessarily something that I've ever found mentioned in the sources but I think that's often a lot to do with sort of how women were treated in the sources let alone not powerful goddess ones but I do think it's interesting that uh, Dionysus's grandparents are Cadmus and Harmonia, not just because I love them, but because Harmonia is a goddess. Like she's one of the only goddesses that marries a mortal, and things work out fine for them, not fine for their mm. children. Obviously, things go very badly for their children, but it's it's notable in most sources that they are fine. Their children mm. have the worst luck ever, but they, as a couple, are fine. Yeah, and. And that, you know, she she is this goddess who married a human, things worked out fine, and then Dionysus goes on to marry Ariadne, and things worked mm-hmm. out fine. And I yeah. think that's, it's something we don't really have in any other stories, like you're saying, of the, the gods and uh, having any kind of affairs or relationships with humans, it, it never turns out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think it's interesting that it's sort of a family line where... The lives of the mortals, when they're not with a god, are messy. Um, mm. But those those few that end up with gods, really, it's like an example of, of the very rare cases of gods not being awful and not sort of yeah. ruining everyone's life. Yeah, definitely. And I think definitely Dionysus, throughout his mythology, that is really emphasized that, you know, 
the gods in like most of the myths just seem to you know treat humans kind of like toys and just you know mess around with them and then get bored and chuck them in the bin um (laughs) but Dionysus never does that like we were talking about you know how he supposedly looked after those uh women that went into the enemy town but also even like going back to his relationship with his mother like he supposedly went down to the underworld to get her out so she could like become a god and live up with him so even you know with his mortal mother who you know he never really met because she died before she even gave birth to him but he still kind of cherishes her and makes sure that she she's gonna have even though she you know had the unfortunate luck of meeting Zeus you know he was gonna make sure that she turned out okay yeah and it's very different from the other example we have of Zeus sort of I don't want to say giving birth because I I think it's just like that weird part patriarchal thing of, of needing these important gods to be from the man who mm. you know but but Athena doesn't really ever take into account her mother like Matus is pretty mm-hmm. forgotten um yeah meanwhile yeah Semele is not and and that's mm-hmm. I think yeah more indicative of of Dionysus as a character versus Athena's problematic in so many ways because of the patriarchy not because necessarily she would have automatically been problematic but um yeah. But yeah, just to have Dionysus be sort of, it's like he's not a product of the patriarchy in the way that all the other gods are. He's just kind of this completely separate figure in some seemingly impossible way where how that happened is sort of baffling. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. It's kind of like if you imagine a god that, you know, someone now who's like a feminist and you know, trying to be trans-inclusive and inclusive of all sexualities, if they had to invent their own god, that would be Dionysus. Yeah. Like, somehow he just completely bypasses all of the, like, toxic patriarchy that we have in ancient Greece and Rome, and he just transcends all of these boundaries. And, yeah, and people, even in, you know, the ancient world kind of thought, oh, he's not really, he's not like everybody else. So, you know, they call him... Uh, the false male at times in some cults because he's not they're like oh he's not real you know there's he's not he's not quite right um but I think it's really interesting how he you know even a hundred years ago the things that we are seeing in the mythologies the things that we are seeing him say and do would have been thought of as really not suited for a man to do and now suddenly we're in this position where it seems like he's more relevant than ever really like um and I think that's one of the things that I really really love about him is this kind of I personally I consider it a massive relevance to the modern day um although obviously as we were talking about earlier you can't like draw these parallels but still um yeah I just think it's really fascinating yeah I I mean I think as much as it is impossible to draw the parallels to how we see things now, I mean, there's still so much about the mythology that is important and relevant, especially mm-hmm. when you can look at it critically, which is obviously my favorite thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. l- look at these stories critically in terms of in terms of who gave us the content, not necessarily who came up with it, but who passed it down to us. Um, yeah. But having that one character who doesn't fit that mold, who who sort of is separate from all of the bullshit associated with with the ancient world and the things that that we have from it is fascinating. It's just sort mm-hmm. of an added bonus to everything. I mean, it, yeah, it's just sort of it, it kind of is reassuring in a way mm-hmm. where you're like, all right, you know, things were, you know, as much as like a lot of it seemed like it was pretty bad for people who weren't men or specifically, yeah. like, Greek men. Um, mm. that, that it's, yeah, it's reassuring that there was this place, it seems, for other people, for for women and for people who weren't male Greeks, specifically. And mm. um, when it comes to Dionysus, uh, did enslaved people have any kind of access to him, too? 
or was he still pretty straight Greek? Yeah, like that is one of the things about Dionysus um, in Greece, but especially then in Rome as well, is mm. he is seen as everybody's god. Um, but by that, it's really the marginalized people um, that we see kind of flocking to Dionysus. So it's largely women. Um, and then also it's slaves and uh, foreigners um, and also, you know, men who were otherwise outsiders, like whether that's because, you know, they were freedmen or because for whatever reason, um, it's he really becomes his following that he attracts seem to be the disempowered people at the time. Um which is really interesting in terms of queer theory and sociology um, when you're looking at kind of minority religions that pop up around the globe there are often these cults or like like I said like kind of religious minority groups that attract mainly people that are marginalized like there is one I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right but <laughs> it's like um and so I'm, I'm actually I've got it written down just here so I hopefully um, I've been there I mean it happens to me literally all the time definitely going to get the pronunciation of this wrong but it's the candomblé religion which is um kind of it came from a syncretism between um Catholicism and uh kind of like the Yoruba religion of West Africa Ooh. um yeah so it's like that's I could talk about that for hours yeah and it's really fascinating because it attracts now almost the same audience that we saw Dionysus attracting then so you get uh, a lot of women um, but also gay men and this it's this repeated thing of like the outsider that comes to this kind of minority religion Um, and so that's a really interesting thing to look at from kind of like a queer sociological point of view is how Dionysus becomes, you know, as we were talking about that he's often seen as like the foreign God or the outsider. And then he kind of draws a following of people that see that reflected in themselves kind of. Mm -hmm. And to have him, be all of those things and still be one of the most important in the pantheon of gods is so yeah. lovely and important. And to yeah. have him be the god of theater, which was, of course, incredibly important in mm-hmm. ancient Greece, specifically, you know, Athens. But that's so exciting, too, you know, to have yeah. to have all of those things, to have this figure that did allow everyone in and attract everyone and specifically marginalized people and to have mm-hmm. them be so important it's just very reassuring and lovely when yeah. you when you think to all the the rest of the things that must have been like to be one of those people in yeah. ancient Greece yeah yeah I completely agree like he's right there up on the Parthenon like in exactly like he's it of, like yeah the best gods he's right there yeah um yeah yeah I uh I mean I clearly could go on about all of all of the Greek gods forever, but Dionysus is one that I don't often consider to be my like favorite if I have to have one because people ask me all the time if I have one. But mm. then when I they speak like this, I'm like, wait, why isn't he? Like he really should be, <laughs> and maybe I need to like readjust sort of my whole way of thinking. Yeah, I mean he's just so fascinating, and I I've done two different versions of the back eye on this podcast because it was like a I did it first really really early on when Mm. I really thought that like 10 people were listening to me and I think it was like a 15 minute episode on the back eye somehow and then now I then I went back to it and I was like what the hell was I doing and anyway I did like (laughs) two or three like part half hour episodes with like Ann Carson's translation which I really love Mm. which is such a fun one and and just yeah reading it again and and covering it again I'm like oh my god like I could just go on forever about this and I that partially is because I also just generally love Euripides like he's so Mm -hmm. wonderful and hilarious yeah yeah um 
but then to to have you know Euripides writing about Dionysus I think it's just like such a combination of great things from the ancient mm-hmm. world like Euripides yeah. is in my opinion the one who you find giving a voice to people like who would have been attracted to Dionysus like Euripides cared what women thought which is yeah. crazy and foreign um and I and so to have him also have that as you know one of his m- most famous plays is it's just a gem just a real mm. real enjoyable thing to read <laughs> yeah yeah I completely agree when we talked before about like him going into the underworld in mm. in one of the things um just to really emphasize how kind of unusual Dionysus is said to be is um so we have this play by Aristophanes where um Dionysus is just basically going into the underworld the frogs but, um yeah yeah I've covered that one on the podcast yeah oh perfect okay so in that when um we get like this whole repetition of the idea that Dionysus is not how a god is supposed to be so you know the the repetition of the kind of characteristic that Dionysus always plays with his dress you know that's Aristophanes is the one that tells us about that but also his kind of driving motivation is the fact that he's got this deep longing for Euripides um, and he wants to go and enter into the underworld to get him out again which is kind of parallels really well that myth of Orpheus and Eurydice where he's going to descend down and he's going to bring out his beloved one that's so true yeah and even then when you have um this conversation between Heracles and Dionysus when Heracles is you're like oh come on like why are you whining so much like you look so down what's going on um and he's like oh yeah I'm I'm in love you know and um you see Heracles like go through the normal things so he'll be he's like oh uh with a woman and Dionysus like shakes his head and so and he's like with a boy then you know going back to this kind of pederasty mm-hmm. um which was kind of the own like more socially acceptable than when he Dionysus then admits like no unluckily it's for an adult man which is completely beyond what is expected of another adult man but it kind of you know like really emphasizes this idea that he goes beyond all normal understandings of what it would have meant to be a man at the time and yeah I think that's I think it's just really interesting that it is so commonly drawn upon particularly through frogs where you get Aristophanes basically just talking about how he's such a coward the whole time that he's there and that is seen to be a very feminine thing like women are the ones that are supposed to be afraid of everything Mm -hmm. you know women are the ones that need a big strong man to come and help them all the time come on um but here Dionysus is the one that's kind of hiding behind the man all the times and getting frightened of stuff he's so um, funny in the frogs yeah it's so it's so entertaining <laughs> mm, I think it's just it's really interesting how obviously all the different gods have so many different stories about them and often there's not a lot which kind of defines them you know Zeus is the really annoying one that sleeps with anything that even looks at him anything and anyone um you know and so you get this idea of certain key traits associated with people and with Dionysus it really seems to be he is he is the effeminate one you know Dionysus the false man or Dionysus the womanly he's often called the effeminate it's just yeah he's just so interesting I think Mm -hmm. no that's so true I mean I've I've always loved him this conversation has awoken so much love for him and for Euripides and Aristophanes but I also want uh to hear a little bit about you've you've covered Dionysus and Harry Styles yes I love that so much it's <laughs> uh it's genuinely my favorite thing I've ever written <laughs> even though it's like not at all scholarly but I wrote about it was especially because seeing this idea of this god who embraces his femininity and and yet is 
is like unbelievably popular with women like beyond anyone else (laughs) and it just made me think so much of Harry Styles every time I see him popping up you know like in these amazing dresses with his painted nails but especially when he released um, Watermelon Sugar the music video for that I was like okay I have to write this I'm not going to be able to sleep until I write this because I think if you want to understand how Dionysus was understood in the ancient world then you should watch that video because you know Harry is there with his painted nails dressed up in you know he's not trying to look masculine at all he kind of emphasizes this um, androgynous nature and then he's surrounded by a group of women and I think there's maybe a couple of men there at the end I'm not sure but he's and then I even in my research, when I was looking at all of the like chat sites about Harry Styles and on these all of these gossip magazines and all of the models that were in there were like, oh, he was so respectful. Oh. He would always ask before he like touched one of our arms or something. He'd always say, are you comfortable with this shot? He was so respectful. And so that as well, I was like, OK, this is just all oh, the evidence is stacking up here. And then also you have this repeated kind of shot in the music video of him biting into a watermelon and then this kind of just red juice going everywhere, which if you are wanting to really stretch the parallels, you can then look at Euripides like we were talking about and how there is this association with the worshippers of Dionysus that they like tear animals or yes. unfortunately for Pentheus sometimes people <laughs> yeah <apart laughs> Pentheus that you get an animal <laughs> yeah exactly but you get this kind of imagery then when Harry Styles or one of his one of the women around him is there with like this kind of red watermelon juice dripping off their face that made me then think okay we can draw some more parallels here yeah I just think especially when you think of other male singers where a lot of their kind of their brand has been oh women love me and I'm I'm you know this really cool guy and you know they're kind of emphasizing their masculinity like that's kind of normally what's expected of like attractive male celebrities and we've seen that kind of change I think in the last like five years or something but I think Harry Styles just really emphasizes that. It's my greatest wish in the whole world that Harry Styles will read that article. That is what I'm absolutely the only thing that I want from my life <laughs> is that right now. Um, yeah, that well, I think that he sums up what it means to be Dionysus. You've convinced me completely. I <laughs> so I am I'm definitely older than the um, the. What's his band? This is how much older I am. Oh, One Direction. One Direction. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So I'm older than that generation. Like I, my, Backstreet Boys were my jam, but uh, I watched right. the One Direction madness. But then even, even when I'm like not, not of that world at all, I see Harry Styles and I'm like, oh, I'm so in. Like I actually, mm-hmm. I kind of, um developed an appreciation for him from watching him on Saturday Night Live because that's where I'm at and um but yeah. he's so incredible in it he's so funny and he's such a good actor and then I'd watch him sing and I was like okay I'm sold on you like yeah. I know I missed mm-hmm. the whole One Direction boat but like I'm sold on Harry Styles and so I just think even that like I think he pulls in kind of everyone like you know yeah. he just is kind of he's very universal in a way that I think Dionysus is so you've convinced me completely I'm so glad I remembered to ask you that I would have kicked myself so hard if I (laughs) forgotten I know Uh, I mean I do get and um, as my sister likes reminding me I I did used to be a One Direction fan (laughs) back in like 2012 or whenever they were around nothing wrong with it Backstreet Boys were my whole life and it's you know I'll I'll admit to it um (laughs) But also people that are still, I, I can't remember. They even told me what they call themselves. But like people that like, that follow just Harry Styles. There's a name for them. And I've completely forgotten what it is. But they were so, so lovely to me when I posted that article. They just took it and ran with it. Oh my gosh. And they were all sending me messages like, it's so clear that you've done your research because he is really respectful to women. And 
<laughs> like, yeah, I completely agree with you. He is like a Greek god. This is so great. Like, he's so respectful. He he loves women, and he is uh, really good at like playing with gender boundaries and things like this. And so they were absolutely just the nicest people I've ever interacted with on Twitter. They were just sending me so much support for that. I love that completely. I'm going to be retweeting that and watching that music video because I have not. So clearly need to. <laughs> well, honestly, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. So where where can people find you on the internet to follow you and, and hear more about this and yeah tell us all where to go yeah thank you so much for having me I've had such a great time talking to you and yeah so I'm on Twitter which is at queer classicist and then on Instagram which is at the queer classicist but mainly I have a website called thequeerclassicist.com and that's where I kind of upload all of my ramblings um it's had to I've had to take a bit of a break over the last month while I (laughs) throw myself into sorting everything out with my PhD but that's all done now Uh, so hopefully there should be uh, something coming out next week I think so yeah thank you so much for coming on this was so much fun I'm definitely gonna have you back to chat more Dionysus thank you so much for having me I've had such a great time chatting with you Well, nerds, thank you so much for listening. Please follow Yentl Love, the queer classicist, everywhere she laid out. Check out her blog, especially for the Harry Styles content. I mean, let's get him reading this, right? God, I love that part. Anyway, thank you all for listening. You are all so wonderful. I am Liv and I love this shit. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.